0: everybody out here today. Uh, before you get comfortable, would you all please stand with me this morning? We're very, I'd like to keep you on your toes. We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're continuing our, our look here in the seven churches in Revelation. And Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be studying about the church in Pergamum today. And as we're looking at these words, I, I ask that you ask the Lord to speak to your heart in a very distinct way about what this message to this church means to you and to I today. But in Revelation chapter 2, we'll start there at verse 12, and it says this, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum writes, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So, also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Our Heavenly Father, you are good. Holy, holy, holy. God, we forget your holiness. Forgive us today, God, for that. Forgive us for being worshippers of other idols, of other things, of being more concerned about this world than we are about your will. Father, would you speak to our hearts today that we would be crushed, that we'd be broken. But in that brokenness, God, we're going to experience your blessing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says today. In your name, amen. You may be seated. I I look at this passage here, and I, I'm i reminded from the recent trip of just this idea of a place that was very broken. That's what I remember about Pergamum. Uh, today it's called Bergama, but, um, but in Pergamum, the, every ruin was pretty much just laid in ruins, for sure. There were churches in the city proper today that are just laying in ruins. It wasn't even a good place to visit. There were just some walls, and that's it. I'm like, I've seen that before, you know? But the stark message that you and I hear today is that we cannot have idolatry in our life. And I believe that the church in America and really the church around the world has experienced this idea of, of asking other things to be our idols. We seek after the wrong things. Pergamum was once the royal city. It was the, the Adelaide Empire where Italia was existing. And, 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 and in this place, it was, it was where everyone came. There was power here. There was beauty. But Pergamon was overran as it had once been that Roman province in Asia. It was kind of eclipsed by the importance of Ephesus, which in Ephesus, we know that we get a lot of good letters to that church. But the powers that be had, had moved from one to the next. It was it was 40 miles north of Smyrna, which is where we were last week. It's 15 miles inland from the Aegean. And when you go there, you, you can't help but notice that Pergamum exists because it's high upon a hill. That during the times of the Romans that, that the... the, the the temples and, and all of the structures, the, the coliseums, all of that was up on top of the seal. You could not help but see this place. The the architecture for this place, the, the way that they designed this place. And honestly, the floors to the, the major palace there, it, it was still standing to this day on, on archways that were created over probably 2,500 years ago. Beautiful. But it lies in a ruined state because I believe there is only one who can bring life to anyone. There's only one who can sustain life to anyone. Our entirety of who we are must be dependent upon Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. In 29 BC, Pergamum became became that first city in Asia to build a temple to the emperor. And it's kind of in Pergamum when we start seeing this thing called emperor worship. People will know how in the world did the Romans become so powerful? They begin to worship one person. And he was known as Emperor... And this, this emperor cult that was designed, that happened, these people really begin to be a people who only looked to the emperor, whoever he was at the time. They would look to them, and this emperor cult had saturated the land. People worshipped the nation. They worshipped the country. They worshipped who they were. I see some parallels in our nation today that I believe the American church, we're more concerned, we're more patriotic, if you will, to the United States of America than we are to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll speak out on things, but we won't speak out on what the gospel truly means. Not caution us today to not be a part of an emperor cult, a, a nationalistic cult. We are called to worship Christ and Christ alone. Amen. He is above all. When you go to, to Pergamon today, you see the, the ruins of where the temples to Zeus was. There was a a God called Asclepius, and he was also, he had a tomb there. There was all, there was all these places that people would go and worship. They would, they would go there to worship. But the picture that we see today is that Pergamum is in ruins. Church, you know what? I think God has designed for you and I today. I think he has designed that you and I to, are to live a life that's full of glory. That is brought to him. God doesn't desire for you and I to walk around in a ruined state. He doesn't desire, desire that you and I today, that we live a life in which we're kinda Christian, right? That we're religious. No, Christ is inviting you and I today to leave the embrace of religion and to cherish the embrace of relationship with him today. Pergamon was that big story that we see here. And you're reading through here and you're thinking, man, you know, they, they've got some stuff, right? But this letter that we see to Pergamum today, it is a reminder to draw close to our God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our call today, church. Where do you and I go forward from this day? Draw close to God. It's like a common theme here in the book of Revelation, is it not? Draw close to God. Draw close to God. Repent draw close to God, repent, draw close to God. We just see it time and time again. And in our church, in the American church, in the church around the world, we are to be a people who flee idolatry, who flee double-mindedness, and we trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, for he alone is the rock in which we should build our lives. It's Jesus. Why is that? I, I think maybe, and I, I've experienced this. I was talking to Brother Roger this morning. He was he was uh, witnessing to some people of a different uh, religion, if you will. And 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 I, you know, when we really think about it, we need to have a good definition as to who Jesus is. Because the Mormons have a definition, right? The Jehovah's Witness they have a definition. Even in Turkey, the 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 Islamic people, the Muslims, they have a definition as to who Jesus is. They love him. I mean, how could you not love Jesus, right? He, he has really cool hair and, and sandals, and he's a hippie. That's what we imagine. But who couldn't love somebody that loved other people? It's hard to hate someone who loves people. And not just love some people, but he, he loves everyone. You know? What's the definition of Christ in your life today? I, I look at this letter, and I see a clear characteristic definition as to who Jesus is. Because here's the thing, if you and I are to follow Christ, we need to make sure that we're following Christ. That we're not following some kind of preconceived notion, religious, whatever. We're, and then it happens a lot of times. That we're we're just kind of following man-made religions. I think you guys had a pretty cool experience of religion in Rome, right? Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. Like, I'm jealous of that, right? But but what Christ is calling us to, he's not calling us to some great papal experience, right? He's not calling us even to go see Billy Graham. I, I went to Billy Graham twice in my life. And it's kind of like going and seeing the Baptist Pope. You know what I mean? Honestly, we'll be truthful here. You go see Billy Graham, I was like, this is pretty cool. Because I went to it and I wasn't like, I was a Christian. I didn't need to be saved. Christ is not inviting you and I just to do that he's not just inviting you and i to you know to a thousand foot crutch concert right which i would love that you know i'd like to throw up my rock fist once again but but christ isn't just calling you know, people are always talking about dc talk getting back together right i would love it i don't know if it ever happened but here's what i do know like like musical bands like break up die start playing on k-love whatever they just start doing stuff right Doing things that are different. And then you you've got like great speakers, great men of God who just go on to be with the Lord, right? But who who's the one that you and I should focus on today? It's Christ. Well, we get that picture of who he is in these letters to these seven churches. And when the one thing I would say today that that we should we should start with is the fact that Jesus reigns supreme. Let the church say amen to that. Is there anyone who's bigger than Jesus? You know, verse 12 there, he says it to the angel of Pergamum, I write the words of him who has the two edged sword. There's so much like imagery there, is it or not? The one who's writing this has a two edged sword. Now we know from chapter one that he has a two edged sword coming out of his mouth, right? So we get that. And that's a word picture that, you know, is the word. And that word cuts both ways. And it's, it's the truth. And that's, that's, that's significant for you and I today, that the one who's writing this isn't just John. It's not just some guy sitting in Ephesus writing a letter or some guy sitting in Patmos writing a letter. You know, John was known for writing letters, apparently. But this is not from John. Who is this from, said? Jesus. He's the one with that two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I like that picture because for you and I as believers in Jesus, we're like, yes, He has that two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, but here's what I want you to understand. He's writing to a bunch of people in Pergamon, and the idea of a two-edged sword wasn't just this religious connotation. It was also a symbol of power and one who could be the judge. When you talk about a two-edged sword, I think you could look no further than the Roman Empire. A two-edged sword meant power. I mean, you're not fighting with hoes and rakes, right? You're not fighting with with sticks and clubs. You're fighting with a two-edged sword. There's power in that. And, and in that time period, you can look on the coinage. You can look on a lot of the, the statues and things, the, the engravings on the reliefs. There's the people that are in power always have a sword in their hand. There's even pictures, if you see, I think it's a, a Peter with a sword in his hand. Paintings that they painted of Peter. I mean, this is these are paintings that happened, you know, maybe uh, a thousand years after Peter, but they painted these pictures and Peter's got a sword in his hand. You know why that is? I don't think it means that he you know, believed in open carry or anything like that, necessarily. We know that Peter carried a sword and he liked to cut people's ears off and all that. He's terrible aim because, as Ray reminds us, he was trying to hit the guy in the head, not the ear. But what I want you to know today is that picture of power. And church, understand this and have a little bit of faith today to know that your Jesus that we live and follow is the one who is supreme over all. It's Jesus. It's not the emperor. He's writing to a church in Pergamon who says, the emperor is the greatest person alive. There were people within the church there that worshiped the emperor as much as they worshiped Jesus. Man, I hate to say that, but I see that in America a lot of times. We worship other things as much as Jesus. We we can get really loud at a a basketball game, right? But when it comes to church, we're just kind of like, oh. We can get really loud at, at, at a concert. When it comes to Jesus, we're like this. We can get really loud when someone cuts us off in traffic, but when it comes to knowing and loving and expressing our worship to Jesus, we miss it. And why is that? I think it really comes back to how we define Jesus. We look to Jesus as just some little meek leader that really doesn't have any power. But church, Jesus reigns supreme. There is no greater. You're a leader? Huh, there is no greater. Talking about 90s. I'm on nineties music lately. There's a little group called Audio Drill a few years ago. They had a song called A Mighty Good Leader is on their way. I love that song because it reminds me that Jesus isn't just like this picture that I colored in in you know in, in, in elementary school and Sunday school or whatever. Jesus is the supreme ruler. There's no one greater than him. There is no one that compares to Jesus. I mean, if we're going to sing holy, holy, holy to anyone, it's Jesus, right? I don't know. Like when you get to the end of this book, and, and maybe we'll get there. But but what I want you to understand is that when when those elders come before the crown of God, the, the the throne room of God, what do they do? I mean, they don't sit there and say, "Well, look at us; we made it." You know, woohoo. I like to go to pastors' conferences because the pastors that are speaking on stage are all like, "Yes, look at me! I'm about to speak in front of thousands of other pastors." And I was like, "Yeah, you're going to bore us just like you bore your church on Sunday." I get it, woohoo! But I think when the what we see the picture here is those elders, whoever they are, right? These elders who are set aside as special people—they're pictures of this, whatever. But here's the thing: those elders, whatever that might mean, they throw their crowns down and they say, "Holy, holy, holy!" The the, the creatures in heaven—what are they singing? Holy, holy, holy! All worship is given to the one who reigns supreme. Church, remember who your Jesus is. Remember who your Jesus is. He's not—he's not just some weak religious symbol out here in the world. But Jesus is the savior to all mankind. Amen. I, I think about this today—that this idea, that sharp two-edged sword, that—that that full meaning. Yes, it's very prophetic for us. But for the people hearing this, just like you know. Uh, uh, there's other places in, in in these letters where he he speaks directly to those people i mean he says things that make sense to them on a, on a level that's just that's just different and for them to have been a political power for them who had seen that sword change positions for those people they're getting a letter from someone who says you know what i'm the one that holds the sword not those not those fools <laughs> it's me my name is Christ. And I've, I've come to set you free. He tells them there, the words of him who has the two-edged sharp, sharp sword. Don't forget that. These aren't Daniel's words. You know, I, I think the danger in, in modern like, uh, churches is we have these preachers who are coming out with books every five minutes. It's so easy to come out with a book. but When was the last time we just stopped and said, Lord, I want to listen to you. Can God speak through men? Yes, that's not what I'm saying. But I think we spend a whole lot of time reading what somebody else thinks. Or we've got preachers out there that they spend their days picking apart the church. They pick apart everything in the church. They they say, well, you've got a wrong view of faith. You've got a wrong view of this. You know what you should be doing? Preaching the gospel. The problem in the American church today is that we just quit preaching the gospel. We've quit quit remembering who Jesus is. He's the one that reigns supreme. It's not your thoughts. It's Christ who reigns supreme. It's not your power. It's not your denomination. It is Christ. Do you guys know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I remind myself of that all the time because I need that, right? I prayed with the basketball boys at the game the other night and um, I always pray, you know, I'm like, you know, destroy them in the name of Jesus. I pray some prayer like that, you know, because that's what you do, right? I don't really pray that. (laughs) But I was in the prayer with like the Lord's prayer, right? Hey, Lord, we, we, Lord, before we go out, the last words from our lips are going to be how you taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Guys, our prayers need to be that every single day. And not just because it's before a basketball game, which it was great beating the Sox off of North Rock Creek the other night. It was awesome beating, what's that school up there? I can't even remember their name. We beat them so bad. It beat the name out of my head. Jones, they're gone. Like, they're just out. We knocked the number eight team in the state out the other night. Which, by the way, I prayed for the team before that happened. So, you know, whatever you think. that's I think they maybe had something to do with it. We beat Prague, right? Our nemesis. We beat them. And we never have to play them again. So, ha, ha, ha. They can't even come back and say, well, next year we're going to get Prague. Nope. You, nope. These boys are graduated. And it's not the same team anymore. Church, when you talk about who we are, you serve a Jesus that is so much better than in a basketball game, right? So much better than. than than any kind of power that you see in this world, Jesus reigns supreme. And we, in our hearts, should be praying, Jesus, your will be done, not ours. Because here's the thing. Jesus stands at the right hand of God. And right now, in this moment, he's interceding for you. Are you reminded who Jesus is today? I hope we leave this place and we're like, man, I hadn't thought about that in a little bit that I'm not just out here on my own, you know, I'm pastoring by myself, or I'm a member of this church by myself, or I'm in this marriage trying to be a Christian by myself, or I'm I'm in my job, my workplace, and I'm the only Christian there all by myself. You're never alone. Your Savior reigns supreme. He's at the Father's right hand today, and he is interceding for you. I like having people intercede for me, don't you? There's been a few times in my life that I had people step up for me, and they went and they got things done, and you're just like, wow, that was really cool. I was at Brahms the other night, and Alex works at Brahms, you know, and, and uh, that, that, that young man, like, fixed me and Jaron up with free ice cream. It's good to know people. <laughs> I was trying to pay, and he's like, no, pastor, let me get this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll let you buy me ice cream. But Jesus reigns supreme, right? If, if, if Jesus can answer the prayers of the people of this time, and if he's the same today, as he was yesterday, and he's going to be the same tomorrow as he is today, then surely we can trust him. Amen? Jesus reigns supreme. Second thing, Jesus alone is the way. There's there's a lot of ways it's going to be put out there, by the way. There's going to be all these all these people are going to say, well, this is how you get to heaven. My Muslim brothers, they, they think, well, if I do good enough works, I'm going to get to heaven. But you know what? They never know. Like, they don't know. Like, well, did I do enough? I've got Christian evangelical people who believe, well, I don't know. I won't know till I get to heaven if if I was saved or not. I'm like, what? No, that's not, that's not a gift. That's your works. We can know today that we're saved, amen? Church, you today, because Jesus reigns and because he's the only way, he's the way, the truth, and the life, because Jesus is that, we don't have to worry about tomorrow because we know who holds today, right? He's got us in his hands. And you can walk in freedom today. You don't have to worry about someone. You don't have to walk in fear. Jesus alone is the way. These people thought the emperor was the way. Well, surely if we get on the emperor's good side, then the emperor's going to provide all our food. He's going to give us free health care. He's going to give us free vehicles. He's going to pay off all my college debt. He's going to do all this. If Surely if I can worship this emperor, then he's going to take care of all my problems. People then are no different than today. Church. Understand this, Jesus alone is the way. Going forward as a church, moving forward as a church, the only way that you and I are going to bring glory to God is if we live in such a way that we understand that Jesus is the only way. It's not your preacher, his preaching style. It's not the worship team and the worship style. It's not your Sunday schools. It's not how many programs we have. Those are all needed and I'm having fun doing them. But here's the thing, if we're not preaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we're missing it. Because what people need in this world is Jesus. He reigns supreme. He alone is the way. They they were trying to do all kinds of stuff, you know, to to earn happiness or to earn freedom. Verse fourteen, John through Jesus, Jesus saying this. He says, "But I have a few things against you guys, right? You you have some that are only to the teaching of Balaam. Which you go to the Old Testament, in Balaam. There was this whole like thing where they were getting people to eat food that was that had been like." offered up to, to idols and there was this whole idea of like sexual immorality. Like, we don't know, like I'm reading through this and there might've been sexual immorality in the church. I'm sure there was. But really like the real picture here is that people were being unfaithful to God. All that other stuff could be going on too, but I, I think we don't need to forget that that, they, that they were putting idols in their life that were not God. And if you read like early on in like, god's interaction with man he pretty much told people don't do what don't worship idols don't do that but here they are and and here in the church in pergamum here they are still worshiping idols you know what i would say today in the american church we're still worshiping idols we do these people within that church they were teaching uh teaching the wrong teachings they were they weren't focusing on the main thing they weren't focusing on how Jesus reigns supreme or how Jesus alone is the way they were focusing on that these core theological doctrinal issues that every believer needs to know They are focusing on everything else well this is how you can be more happy this is how you know if you can please this God in this way if you can have some type of works thing, you'll feel better you know, hey, let's keep let's keep tabs of what everybody does in the church and how much money they give. I mean, there there was things like this going on. They they were forming an idol within the church instead of just saying, you know what? Jesus is who we worship. Jesus alone is the way. There's no other way. There's no other way. These people missed that. They they were missing it because and I can say it because you go there today and everything's in ruins. Apparently what Jesus said came true. Hey, repent or I'm coming after you. He must have came after them. Because there's nothing there now. Our Lord, you reign supreme. Jesus alone is the way. This idea that we need to understand that we don't need to be a people who are assimilating into a a culture here of this world. I had a a pastor that I knew, he posted a, a quote this week, and he said that the more that you... Become relevant, the less Christ, uh theologically irrelevant you are. And I was kind of like, what's what's this guy saying? The more culturally relevant you are, the less biblically relevant you are. And he's kind of left it at that, you know. But like for me, I have a problem with that statement because we do have to be relevant to the culture around us, do we not? And he's like, well, no, you know, you can't you can't be relevant to the people. You just gotta preach to them, I guess, hellfire and brimstone and all that. Yes, we need to tell them the truth. Yes, we're we're so concerned about. um you know, offending people. You ever thought that if you don't tell someone about Jesus and they go to hell, do you think that's going to be offensive that you didn't tell them that they could have went to heaven? That's offensive too. But you're looking here and, and, and this idea like we can't be culturally relevant. Jesus was being totally culturally relevant to these people. He's speaking in in terms that they understood directly to them. When you read the uh, the epistles, Paul speaks directly to, he talks to different people in different ways. Church, here's the thing. We need to know the culture around us. And if you're having a problem with that, understand this, the culture around us is dying and going to hell. The culture around us is lost. The culture around us is, is there's emperor worship. People worshiping other things. I like, I like when people say, well, I'm not religious. Oh yeah? What do you value? Well, I'm not really, I don't believe in God. Well, what do you value? Well, I like this, this, this. Well, that's your God. Whatever you put first, right? Church, we need to be adamant about understanding that Jesus is our supreme leader. <laughs> He's our supreme real. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But he is. He's supreme overall. He's the only one who's the way. These people miss that. And the the cautionary thing for us today is not to assimilate into the the pagan culture, but to assimilate in Jesus and then relate to that culture that Jesus is relevant for all people. Do you guys realize that? I I was so encouraged on our recent trip that you go over there and you go up to someone who, you know, you don't even speak the same language. Um, They've got a very different definition of Jesus. But when you go up by the power of the Holy Spirit and they give their life to Jesus— when I think about the 14 in the village, they shouldn't have listened to us. I know we killed the sheep and bought them a sheep and all this kind of stuff. I understand that. But these people heard the gospel. You know? And the gospel's what changed them. Why? The gospel changed them because Jesus, his way is right. It's proven method, right? No doubt you probably see the ads. Hey, if you buy my book, it's a proven method. <laughs> You do this. It's a proven method. It's been proven. Guys, the only thing in this world that we can trust in, that we can bank on is Jesus. That's it. Everything else falls apart. So in a church that's that we're trying to do what God wants us to do, we have to be focusing on Jesus. We need to understand who he is. This beautiful interpretation of him should not be overlooked. Let's not be Pergamum. Let's not be Smyrna. Let's not be Thyatira. Let's not be These churches who missed it. How many of y'all like a a good word to leave on today? Anybody want some good words? I'm not talking about the televangelists. Well, you guys are so good. I'm not talking about that. Because Jesus reigns, because Jesus alone is the way. Guys, check this out. Jesus offers ultimate victory. Jesus offers ultimate victory. You know, it's Super Bowl season, is it not? My wonderful cowboys got beat out yet again. Amen. (laughs) We need to pray for somebody. But here's the thing every year there's a competition for who's what? Super Bowl champion, right? Every year! Since Tom Brady's out, I guess we got to find somebody new every year. Every there for a while. It was the same guy every year, you know? But but here's the thing: like, every year they have to determine who is the ultimate victor. Church, I want you to understand something today. What Jesus is offering us is not temporary. It's not just a, a little pat on the back. Well, here you go. Jesus is offering you ultimate victory because though we may not have the ability, he does. Though we're weak. And poor, he's not. You realize our God, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Which I love that I I love that picture there. But you know, really, that's just a picture. He owns every cow, (laughs) right? He owns every cow. Thank the Lord for cows. I love hamburgers, but but all of this, you know, like the Lord owns everything. You Wednesday night studyers, we've been talking about the very nature of God and how he didn't just create things. I mean, he created things. With his word, he created nothing. And then he put something in the nothing. That's beautiful. You know what science tells us today? Science tells us that the universe is expanding. And I have like, I have, you know, is it? I don't know. But if the universe is expanding, let's say it is. If it is expanding, that's a creation of God. Like God is still continually creating more space. That's beautiful. I think once God created, it, he called it good. But you know what I'm saying? Our God is big. He's He's supreme. He's the way. Guys, he's not offering us just some kind of, well, now you can just not have so much guilt in your life. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how many of us in here have lived in guilt? Like as a Christian coming to church, living the Christian life, and you just walk around in guilt because you feel bad about what you did in the past. You ever been there? There's this, there's this whole thing... Um, um, uh, one of my my favorite authors in the whole world, uh, Brendan Manning, he, he went through like a, a time in his life. He um, And one of the things he learned is that a lot of times people just spend a lot of time doing this thing called self-hatred. They just hate themselves. They can't get past that, you know? Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to be all positive and, ooh, I'm a perfect person. That's not what, no, that's not the teaching here. The teaching is you're only going to find peace in the only one who is the way and the only one who is supreme. You're only going to find peace there. Your only ultimate victory is going to be in Jesus. And even if you could work your way to heaven, you couldn't. It's not happening. Because you got to be in this consistent state of trying to be holy. That's not possible. It's not possible at all. Jesus, what he's offering us today is not just membership here at First Baptist, you know. He's not just offering you again, like this uh, relief or this reprieve of of some guilt in your life, or he's not just helping you to feel holy or, or clean, you know? He He alone is the one that's gonna give you ultimate victory. That one of these days, praise God, he's gonna wipe every single tear out of your eyes. That there's gonna be a place where there will be no darkness. That there's only going to be his glory. And it's gonna be so much that even the elders, the, the big shots in the church, they're just gonna lay it all down and say, God holy are you. Why? I read through Revelation, I'm just reminded of how little I am and how big my God is. He's supreme. He's the way. He's going to bring the ultimate victory. When you're reading through this letter to Pergamum, it kind of ends in the the usual way, right? That every letter, as as you see, we're reading through here, uh, he kind of talks to two people. He says, to he who has what? An ear, right? He has ears. And then he says, and to the one, one of the ones he mentions here, though, he says to him who overcomes, I'm going to give you life, right? I'm going to give you victory because I am victory. He's talking to these two groups of people and this, this commitment that Christ makes is, is double. Understand what I was saying earlier that we need to be relevant to our culture. Check this out. I love this. Jesus promises those who hear two things. First, he promises them manna. Everybody knows what manna is, right? It's delicious, right? If you've ever been to Krispy Kreme? It's just like oh, it just melts in your mouth. I haven't had a good Krispy Kreme in a long time. It's manna from heaven. I've heard it, you know. I've heard a uh, you know Krispy Kreme is called like you know basically like baby baby angel wings or something like that. You know, it's like it's just it just melts. I don't know what that means, but people say well, it's like baby angel wings. Like that doesn't make sense. I don't understand. If you look at the the picture of an angel in scripture, they're kind of scary. They're not Cupid. Which, by the way, Cupid is based off of Eros. He's not even based off of the angels in the Bible. So it's just kind of weird to me that we would say, well, I want to eat. But anyways, I digress. But you know what manna is, right? It was provided by who? By God. God provided this. And Jesus tells them here in this letter, he says that that you're going to get that. I'm I, if you don't change, I'm going to come to you and with a sword in my mouth, I'm going to chop you into pieces. You're going to look like guacamole on a plate, right? I'm hungry. He who has an ear, let him hear what his spirit says. But he says, to the one who conquers, I'm going to give some of that hidden manna. Right? I'm going to give some of that hidden manna. We used to go to a Mexican restaurant and like uh, we would go on lunch break at the last place I worked at. And he would go to there and you could say, hey, you got any of that? You got not need that salsa? That's all you'd have to say. And he'd be like, I'll be right back, senor. You know, and he would go to the back and he would come back with this salsa that was just like, it was hot. Uh, it, was, it was just a wonderful salsa. They didn't sell it to everybody. You had to ask for it. Jesus is telling his people here, I'm going to give you some of this hidden manna. Un momento, senor. Right? I'll be right back. And he gives that manna well, the manna is significant, is it not? But to the to the people who had been reading like the Old Testament stuff, the Christians who had been reading the old scriptures, you know the old tellings, the the people who were Jewish, they understood what manna meant. Jesus is being relevant to them. He says, "I'm going to give you manna manna was important because manna meant life. They would have died in that in that desert. They wouldn't have survived. they would have died and 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 Jesus is telling him, "I'm going to give you this hidden manna. It's like it's even better than what you had before, right?" Second thing he says is I'm going to give you a white stone. Wait, what? what does that mean? A white stone? What's beautiful about the white stone is that during that time if, if you were invited to a special event they would give you a white stone and it might have some kind of code or a name or something on there inscribed in it and only the people that had that stone could get in. Those beautiful uh, coliseums that we went to people had to have a certain stone to get into certain areas. In church Jesus offers not just to the Jewish people or to the people with a, uh, a Hebrew type uh, lineage. Hey, I'm gonna give you manna. And then he talks to the Gentiles and he says here, I'm gonna give you a stone. And it's got a special name written on it. And it promises you ultimate victory. Church, how many of us glory in that today? You've been given the manna, amen? You've been given that white stone and that, and that means that nothing can take that away. That's a gift from who? From Jesus. It's a, that's a gift from the one who reigns supreme. That's a gift from the one who alone is the way. That's the the one that's promising this ultimate victory. Church, let me let me let me just say this, because I've got good brothers and sisters in Christ who say things like, "You can lose your salvation." I hate that because that that makes all this meaningless. If Jesus is supreme, then I can't I can't lose it. Right? His gift is perfect. It's hidden mana. It's a it's the white stone that's gonna get me in there. Do I deserve it? No, I don't deserve this. I mean, honestly, as your pastor, I don't deserve to stand on this stage, Roger. You asked me what I do right before I preach. I, a lot of times, I go in my office and I cry and I say, God, I'm not worthy. God, I want you to help me to do this, and you just have the stage and you speak to hearts. Because honestly, if I'm not lifting up the one who reigns. What's the point? Jesus is the only one who can bring us ultimate victory. I kind of like that, though, I thought. I like the idea that I'm an ultimate victor because of Jesus. You know what? Let the government come after me. I, really, even when we were in Turkey and we had a couple of times, I mean, we were at this park one time and like the park guy was like looking at us weird. And I, I'm pretty sure he was not on the up and up. And I think he was looking at us like, oh, uh, these guys don't need to be here. But um, these times, but that one time in particular when they were really following us, taking pictures and all that, I was just like, oh, well, <laughs> arrest me. Who cares? I serve the God who is the one who reigns supreme. I serve the one who's who's the only way and I serve the one who's going to give me ultimate victory. You can kill me right here, but I'll be victorious in the end. Nothing can knock me down. Can't take my joy away because it's given from God. You can't take my manna away. You can't take my white stone away. It's been given by my Lord. Today I live in peace by that. Do you live in peace today, church? Is that something that you do? That name of Christ or Jesus engraved on that stone. Man, it means today that you and I have admission to the place that we don't deserve to go. Do you know Jesus today? I, I think i will probably preaching to the choir because it's icy outside or at least by Oklahoma standards, we've got to shut everything down now. I hope that you brought bre- you know, your bread and your milk already because it's going to be gone. When you guys get out of here, I'm, I'm trying to let us out a little bit early so you can run to Brahms real quick. They get milk two for six, and the bread's on sale, too. So make sure you get there and get a burger and all that while you're at it. But Oklahoma's about to shut down because we'll have, you know, slightly slick steps. And that's what's going to happen this week. I'll just let you know. But God's still in control. No matter what you and I go through as a church or as a body of believers, I want you to understand I want us to go through it as one because we are one in Christ. If you're suffering today, if you've got problems, if there's sickness in your life, I want you to understand you don't have to suffer alone because you're not. There's been times in my ministry, I just kind of stepped back and I suffered on my own. Jody, I'll tell you, there was a couple years of my life that it was about to kill me. The things that I was holding in, the traumas that I had seen, the things that I had experienced, and, 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 I, and I, I, I hold it in. I didn't ever talk to anybody. Thank God for a godly wife that I can talk to because she saved my life in that way. The Lord gave me her, so really the Lord said, so not too much on you, sorry. But the Lord gave me my wife, and then, you know. But the the thing is, is that you don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to go through rough stuff. This year, you know what? We're we're doing a whole new focus on some different areas in our church. Kids, yep. Youth, yep. Senior adults, yep. That's a new one we're going to be working on. We're going to, we want to reach out to people who are hurting because they've had loss. We want to get people opportunities to serve within the church. Not just the old people or the young people but everyone because here's the thing you and I need to be on one page here there's not an old church young church Sunday church Boise church not work it's one ministry and it's gonna work because we serve a God who's supreme amen I'm so encouraged by that scripture it's not just it's not just hey you guys get your stuff together we can we can read the seven letters to the seven churches and say, well I've never been like that." I've never listened to the Nicolaitans, (laughs) right? I've never done emperor worship. I've never had, you know, some type of sexual religion or whatever. These people did that, but you know what? We do crazy stuff too sometimes. Sometimes we're just Baptists and that's bad enough. I'm just kidding. I love Baptists, but the call is for us today to, to do what? To repent, to live for him. To repeat, <laughs> it's like washing your hands, right? Flush, lather, dry, repeat. You got you always have to wash your hands. I hope you do, anyways. I hope you guys didn't like take a bath when you were ten, and that's it. No more baths. I'm clean from now on. But well, the thing is, with Jesus, you're you're clean forever, though, with Him, right? But He calls us to daily repentance. He calls us to daily checking our inventory, to daily checking where are we at, because the devil can definitely get you off. Of can you lose your salvation? No, but you can sure lose your footing. You can sure lose your footing, you can sure lose your your direction in life and, and I guess when we're reading through this, look at the beautiful picture we have to be reminded of who Jesus is. guys, we have no reason not to succeed. Musicians are coming forward, and I'm gonna say a prayer and then they're gonna they're gonna sing a, some worship here this today, and I wanna invite you that if you need prayer today that I want you to come forward. I'm not going to sit down here and beg you, but I'm just saying if you need prayers today, these altars are open. Everybody hear me? Okay. Today, if you need Christ, here's the thing. We know that if you're a believer today, you know this anyways, that there's a way that seems right to us, but the end is death. If we live in sin, and if we live in our sinful nature, then it's going to lead us nowhere but to hell. But with Christ, we can have eternal life. The Bible teaches us that if we believe in our heart, and we confess with our mouth. What does that mean? I, be, I think it means this. I think it means that the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now and you need to say, you know what, Jesus, I want this gift. I want to choose to follow you. I, I ask that you forgive me of my sin. God, I ask that you would, you would wash me clean by the blood of the Lamb. I look to you alone as my salvation. Lord, would you be my ultimate victor?